Hello and welcome to season four of the Bible and Me podcast. This is episode eight of 12 in this series. So join us on this journey as we discover some incredible testimonies of people whose lives have been well and truly changed for the calling of God. In this episode, Nigel Watts sits down with Nick Arkley, a music and worship director of a large church in Salisbury with a master's in applied theology. Nick speaks of a time of depression in his life the importance of worship from a music standpoint, as well as an exciting move awaiting him. The views expressed by the individual in this podcast may not reflect that of Preset Ministries UK. We hope this podcast inspires you in your daily walk and would love it if you could leave a review or rating so that we can encourage more people to the good news of the gospel. Now, without further ado, here's the podcast. Well, I am really delighted to welcome Nick Arkley to the programme today. Nick grew up in Leicestershire, studied management at university both in the UK and in Canada. He holds a certificate of Christian leadership for music and worship and recently obtained a master's in applied theology uh, combined with Christian leadership from Moreland's Bible College. Nick is very gifted in many areas, technically in leading worship, in graphic design, also in teaching and preaching and as we will discuss, is about to embark on one of the greatest adventures of his life. Nick, really great to have you on the programme. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Nigel. Now, Nick, I'm aware um, that there have been some tough times as you were growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, your, your mother was diagnosed uh, with cancer when you were 12. Yeah. Uh, she survived two cancers, uh, but when it came back a third time, it was terminal. Uh, she died when you were 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is extremely tough for anybody. Um, did you have a faith at this point in your uh, life? And, and how did you cope with this tragedy so early on in your life? Yeah, well, I, I was privileged and blessed enough to uh, grow up in a Christian household. Um, and our faith really uh, sustained us throughout my mum's illness. Um, so I gave my life to Christ when I was seven. Um, I can still remember that day, and really it was my faith that sustained me, um, knowing that I could lean on God. So I, I, my experience has been that when people suffer tragedies, particularly when believers suffer tragedies, uh, it, they either push people in towards God or push them away from God. Um, and I've known a few people who have been pushed away from God, whether through anger or just not understanding what's going on. For me, uh, I thank God that actually it was the opposite, that uh, the, the tragedy, the, the illness, the whole experience just pushed me closer to God. Um, I felt I had nowhere else to turn, uh, kind of like the disciples when they said, where else would we go? Um, that was my experience. I had nowhere else to go. Um, God was the only place for me to turn. And uh, in that, I found his strength um, he sustained me. He kind of gave me the strength to get through that period, and, and we were able really to celebrate my mum's life uh, rather than mourning her loss. Mm. Um, to some degree, because she'd been so ill for so long, uh, there there was almost this uh, uh, anticipated mourning, anticipated grieving that was going on. So we knew uh, where uh, it was ultimately headed. Uh, we were praying that she would be. Uh, miraculously healed um, but you know God chose to take her to be with him I, I thank God that he that she had a faith 
Um, and one of the amazing things that I love to remember is the fact that when she was in hospital um, for the final time and then when she moved into the hospice, she would just took the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. <laughs> so she was witnessing to other people who were suffering, Aww. to the nursing staff, to the doctors. Um, and I think because for her, she knew this was her chance um, and she needed people to know that there was a hope. Yeah. And she knew that that hope was going to come. And when it came to it, she said that she wasn't going to pass until it was the Lord's day. And she held on and defied medicine um, in that they gave her so many uh, painkillers. Uh, we were told after she had died that um, the amount of painkillers that they'd given her should have killed four African elephants. Um, <laughs> but she had said she was going to wait till the Lord's day. And it was a Sunday uh, that she eventually passed um, and we were able to be with her at her side as a family. So yes, difficult time, yeah. um, but I praise God that um, he sustained us through that period and mm. leading up to uh, her passing and through that whole grieving process. Um, there's, I was reflecting on a verse from Job this week actually where Job says after he's received news um, very early in the story of Job, in that first chapter, he says, the Lord gives and the Lord has taken away, um, yet I will praise the name of the Lord or, or the name of the Lord be praised. Mm. Um, and one of the things I find fascinating about Job uh, in that story is that attitude that says God is sovereign, God is over and above all things. And so regardless of what we have or don't have, regardless of the blessing we have or the mourning that we're going through, uh, God is still to be praised. He is the same God yesterday, today and forever. Um, and I absolutely believe that. And that's one of the things that I try to encourage other people who are hurting is God is the faithful God. He is the God who can be our strength and our shield. Um, and, and that was my experience. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. that is amazing. And of course, and you have that hope mm -hmm. of one day being reunited with your mother, uh, you yeah. know, forever. Yeah. You know, and that is, you know... Um, I think I may have said this before on the podcast, but you know, one day we're all going to pass, aren't we? We're all going mm -hmm. to die, um, and then what? And and that is just a wonderful hope that we have as believers. Right. That, you know, yes, we put on, we you know, um, our mortal flesh is taken off, but we put on what is immortal Amen. and yeah. imperishable. Yeah. And uh, that is just a wonderful, wonderful hope that we have. Absolutely. Um, now you mentioned um, coming to faith when you were seven. Mm. I mean, how? T just tell me a little bit about that. You know, uh, obviously mm, sure. there, was, there was a decision that you made, I guess, or, or yeah, how was that for you at, at such a young age? Well, really, it was probably my first experience of the Holy Spirit really acting in my life in that sense of the Holy Spirit convicting me. Um, I, as I said, grew up in, in a church within the Christian family, so I, I was used to attending church, and I can remember that we had a visiting evangelist who came and spoke at our church. I can't remember who he was, but I can remember that there was this event that the church hosted. Uh, I went along. I can remember sitting at the back of the church in one of the pews towards the back. Um, and and where, where was this? Uh, th so this was in a village called Kirby Muxlow, just on the outskirts of Leicester. Okay. Um, and at the end of his uh, teaching session that evening, he, he did the normal kind of altar call that you'd uh, expect from an evangelist. Um, and I just have this memory. I don't remember it that clearly, but what I do remember is having a sense, I'm not going to respond. Um, and yet then finding myself halfway down the aisle, um, 
Yeah, whatever I do, I'm not going to respond to this. Right, precisely. Know? And yet the spirit grabbed hold of me. Yeah. And I'm not particularly aware of having got out of the, my chair, out of the pew. Um, but I do remember that I was walking down the aisle towards the front to make a commitment and to make that response. Oh. Um, on your own? On my own, yeah. So I believe my family were there, but that was my personal response. Oh. Um, so there were others making responses as well, but it, it wasn't that I was uh, caught up in what was going on. That was It was a very personal experience for me. Um, and I have vague memories of kind of meeting with some of the team and praying with them at the end and being given uh, a Bible and some notes to take away to, to help me in that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so to some degree, my faith has been a, a case of growing up with, within that environment of faith, within that environment of, of knowing the word of God, uh, but also that very clear moment where God got hold of me and said, this has to be something real um, and you need to make a response. Um, and that that's what happened on, on that day. And it's, it's not necessarily been the smoothest walk since. Yeah. I've always tried uh, to honour God um, in my life, but as with all of us, I've made my mistakes along the way. Yeah, so. yeah. wonderful, wonderful. Um, now, um, you struggled um, with depression in your early 20s. Mm. Um, and as, as you, you've mentioned to me before the interview, um, almost to the point of, of having suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? And, and, and what got you through this period as well? Um, yeah. I mean, there may be people listening to this that, that are maybe going through a very mm. similar situation. And obviously we know in our country, you know, the whole mental health yeah. um, there's a, there's a greater understanding of, of yeah. mental health issues. So can you just talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a very big issue and one that I think we're becoming increasingly aware of, that people struggle with depression, with anxiety, um, and that that can manifest in all sorts of different ways. My personal experience uh, was that I didn't really know how to handle it um, and that on numerous occasions um, I considered taking my own life. Um, I think to some part, um, people's experiences are quite individual and personal. Um, so I have to be careful in what I say because I don't want to make too sweeping a statement. Um, what ultimately got me through it um, was reaching a crux point for me where um, on one occasion, I know that I was very close to taking my life um, and was considering how I would do that. Um, but I believe that I, I reached a point of desperation um, and phoned some very good friends um, and just said to them, I need to come over. If I don't come over, um, I'm scared of what I'll do. Um, and they just said, well, come on straight over. Um, and so I, I think the people that God put around me and uh, my willingness to... Um, actually cry out in desperation um, is is ultimately what means that I'm still here today. Mm. Um, they opened their door to me. They, they knew that I was struggling. Um, and they opened their door and got me in. Um, from that point, I uh, undertook a journey with the uh, um, eldership of the church that I was attending at the time. Uh, there's a verse in James that encourages us that if we're... Uh, ill if we're sick, which is essentially what mental health is. 
um, it, it is an illness and we should treat it as an illness. We have physical illnesses that we, we treat and we deal with and mental health is an emotional and mental illness. Um, and the Bible says if, if you're sick, then call upon your elders, get them to pray for you and anoint you with oil. Um, and my elders committed to meeting with me regularly, very regularly, uh, to pray with me, to pray over me, um, to, to just go on a journey with me uh, that ultimately led to um, me being completely released from the depression. Um, and, and I praise God for that. And, and the crux that it came down to, there was a number of things that we had to deal with along the way where we discovered there was some stuff in um, my ancestry that we thought might be causing an issue. So we, we prayed and renounced some of the stuff that some of my past generations had been involved in. Mm. Um, but I think the crux for me uh, was when there was a realization that I had taken on an identity of being depressed, of being depressive. Um, to the extent that I didn't know who Nick Arkley was without being depressed. And I don't know if that really makes sense, but for me, my identity had got m completely mixed up. I'd lost my identity in Christ um, and somehow placed my identity in the fact that this is now who I am. This, this is what defines me. Um, and the freedom for me came when I said, I don't know what Nick Arkley looks like without depression, but I would rather that than live with what I'm living through. Um, and I had to kind of make this choice to surrender um, that identity, even though at that point I didn't know what it would look like, what my life would look like, or what I would feel like if I was not depressed. Um, and that was like, um, just this moment of transformation for me, that when I said, okay, God, I give you that, I lay that down, I let go of it, even though I'm scared of what my life looks like without it, that actually my life was completely transformed. Um, and I was set free from the depression. I was, I was healed of that. And I've not struggled with it since. Yeah. Um, I praise God for that. Yeah. Um, and if there are people listening to this who who are struggling with something similar, then my encouragement would be turn to God. Um, there's, there's another verse um, from 1 Peter chapter 5, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up. Mm. Um, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And that verse is so, I, oh, I say it's so true, all of the Bible is true. Um, but there is a sense in which when we humble ourselves before God, when we, when we bring our frailty, when we bring our weakness before him um, and we completely surrender it to him, he can free us from that. He can lift us up in due time. And there's that absolutely amazing truth. You know, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Mm. And we know that this is a God who loves us to the point of sending his own son to the cross for us. Um, that's how his love is demonstrated, is in the sending and the giving of his own son. Um, and, and he wants each of us to be free. The, the truth shall set us free. And if we can grasp hold of the truth, which is what I had lost hold of, I'd lost hold of the truth of who I was in Christ, 
Um, and that's why my identity had got mixed up in the wrong things and why I was struggling so much. But it was when I then came back um, to just surrendering that misunderstanding um, that I was able to then go on this journey of rediscovering what it means to be a child of God, to find my identity is in Christ and in Christ alone um, and in nothing else. Beautiful. Um, and as I say, that's, that's my experience. So it won't necessarily be the same for everyone, but I pray that it would be an encouragement to someone. What was that someone. verse again? Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Fantastic. Now, you studied management at Lancaster University and also at the University of British Columbia in Canada. Right. And you completed training in Christian leadership skills with music and worship. Were you always musical? Uh, was I always musical? No. My family is not a musical family. Um, it, it's, again, another bit of my God story, if you like. So apparently at the age of five, I turned around to my parents and said, I want to learn to play the piano. Um, and obviously we didn't have a piano, uh, the family's not musical, so they thought, you know, he's probably seen it on TV um, and has just come out with this, so thought nothing of it. I was apparently going back to them for an entire year saying, I want to learn to play the piano. I really want to um, learn to play the piano. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and we had moved, so I was born in Bristol and lived there till I was three, so I don't really remember those years, but um, we had lived across the road from a piano teacher, a Portuguese lady. and. Uh, my parents decided that one summer we were going to be travelling down to the south coast to visit some other friends down in Dorset. So we, we went via Bristol and they'd arranged for us to stop and have lunch with this lady, Anna. Um, and they apparently said to her on the side, he's just really annoying us, constantly going on about learning to play the piano. Can you sit him down at the piano and just dissuade him? Um, so she said, that's fine. So whilst uh, the family was outside having a picnic lunch in her garden, she took me inside to her beautiful grand piano, sat me down and uh, spent 10 minutes with me and I just picked it up um, really quickly. Um, and she went back outside and said, you have got to let him learn to play, uh, which wasn't the answer they were looking for. <laughs> um, but sure enough, they were very uh, faithful to that, actually. They, they really listened to what she had to say. And when we got back from holiday, um, they managed to get a piano from someone that my dad worked with. Then there was a um, piano teacher who just moved in um, to the next street who happened to be a Christian. Um, she was looking for pupils um, and she became my piano teacher. Um, and so from the age of six, I started learning to play classical piano. Um, and then it's kind of developed from there as I've um, just grown up. So it's, it's really a part of my life and it is. in a sense part of who I am. That is, It know. is. I, I, I mean, you went on to um, run your own company um, for five years, and um, then you were the director of music at a large church mm. in Salisbury. Um, how, how would you characterize your time leading others in worship? So you're there every Sunday, you're, yep. and I know other occasions as well. Um, yeah, how would you, reflecting on that time in leading others in worship? Yeah, well. I think in some ways, when I was in my um, late teens, I just discovered this a real passion for connecting with God in that place of worship, in that place of corporate worship particularly, but also in a place of personal worship. Um, and I, I believe that there is real power when God's people come together in 
worship and when we enter into the throne room together. Um, I think it's just a beautiful, beautiful experience. Um, as a worship leader, that's therefore something that I want to lead others into, is, is into the throne room, but also into that place of encounter, that it's not just um, a ritual that we go through or something that we go through. We stand up, we sing a few songs, we sit down again, um, but that that is a time that God has allowed us um, and blessed us with this opportunity to really meet with him um, almost face to face, um, where he does invite us to boldly approach the throne of grace. Um, and, you know, he has made a way. I, I said a moment ago that, you know, he's demonstrated his love in sending his son uh, to die for us on the cross. And, and ultimately that was so that we can have a relationship with him. And, and sometimes that is expressed in that place of worship. Um, so, so my desire is always to try and lead people into that place where they can encounter God. One of the verses um, that we took as kind of a core verse when uh, I was leading the team at, at St. Paul's um, was Isaiah 62, verse 10. It says this, it says, Pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones and raise a banner for the nations. And there's a few aspects of that verse that for me uh, was something that I wanted our whole team to get a hold of. One was that we were preparing the way for the people. So we weren't worshipping on behalf of people. We were preparing a way and leading people um, into God's presence. Um, it says to remove the stones. So there was also that aspect of I wanted to do whatever I could to remove the things that were a distraction for people. Um, quite often when we gather, it's uh, perhaps a Sunday morning, and if people's experience is anything like mine, that's when everything goes to pot before you go to church. So um, when we actually then gather to come into God's presence, I want to remove the distractions. And it's not to say that they're not there, but it's to put them into a right context. And actually the right context for any of the issues that we're facing within life is to lay them at the foot of God um, and to, to lay them before his throne and to trust him with the issues that we're facing. And to raise a banner, um, there's, that's, that's a great visual, isn't it, of when the, uh, the armies would kind of carry out and they would hold a banner that was the king's banner. And that's one of the things that I think we do as worshippers is that we we lift high the name of Jesus. We we kind of carry it as as a banner as we um, go into his presence. And, and so those are the things that I seek to do when I'm leading people. Um, and then all of that has to be grounded on the word of God. So um, you will know from some of your experience of me leading worship um, is that I like to include scripture within that. So uh, to me, it, it's not one or the other. You, you have, you know, you stand up and you sing some songs and you do something else. I was very um, keen to make sure that the songs we were singing had a good scriptural foundation. Um, if I didn't think that a song had a, a good scriptural foundation or if I disagreed with it theologically, we wouldn't sing it. Um, so as a worship leader, I also thought, you know, I'm going to be held accountable one day when I stand before the throne, I'm going to be held accountable for the words that I've put in other people's mouths yeah. as a worship leader. Um, so I wanted to make sure that if I was asking some, someone to sing something, 
it was right yeah. um, and that it was something that would build them up and encourage them and lead them into that place of encounter. Wonderful. And just as an aside, I know you've written some of your own uh, worship songs, haven't you? How, if yeah. people were interested in that, how could people get hold of that? Um, I'm not entirely sure that they could. Um, so they've, they've not been recorded. So okay. yes, they, they were used during my time as a worship yeah. pastor. And some of them um, are beautiful songs. You should do. You should Thank do. you. Maybe put, record it so people can access them on Spotify. Okay. Maybe do that. Okay, now in 2012, uh, while still director of music uh, at the church, you decided to do a master's in applied theology at Moreland's Bible College. Um, what led you to do this and, and how, how has that helped you? Um, really what led me to do it was a sense that God was calling me uh, out of um, music ministry um, and into a wider ministry and I felt I just needed to be better equipped to do that. So I'd done a bit of theology uh, in the certificate that I'd done prior to going into music ministry uh, but really wanted to just go deeper um, with my theological training um, and the second aspect of why that particular degree was I was just really interested in the idea of applied theology, yeah, yeah. Um, that I didn't just want a, um, a theological knowledge, uh, but I wanted to know how to take theology and the study of God and the study of God's word, but really apply that in, in a very hands-on practical way. And that's one of the reasons why I ended up doing that particular um, degree and award. Yeah. And obviously it did lead to a wider ministry because in 2015 you found yourself being uh, voted unanimously by the leadership of Fleet Baptist Church to become their associate mm. pastor. Yep. Now you were happily fulfilling this role yep. um, to which you had clearly been firmly called mm -hmm. by, by the congregation. And then God called. Yep. <laughs> what did God call you to? What is God calling you to? Well, he's called me and uh, my wife and I to um, plant a new church in Vancouver in Canada. Um, so it's, it's a big step for us and really quite an adventure. Um, so very briefly, um, he'd originally planted that uh, seed in my mind back in 2010. Um, but then last year, he kind of said, now is the time um, through um, really some quite powerful um, confirmations through scripture, through um, people speaking at conferences, through uh, other people having words of knowledge. Um, and all of those things kind of came together within the space of about a week um, to, to really kind of turn our lives upside down and um, say, this is something that I'm calling you to. And um, th through various scriptures, um, particularly one in Luke and one in Genesis, um, he kind of challenged uh, Sarah and I to just take a step of faith and uh, to be obedient to what he was saying to do, um, to really pursue this call. So that's the journey we're on now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you have really taken a step of faith because, of course, you were you were on the um, the staff of yep. the church. Clearly, you know. Um, being receiving an income uh, for that, yep. and uh, it's not as if you have waited until everything was worked out no. in Canada and a job with a salary and all that before you then left your position. But actually, what you have decided to do is to step down from that position as associate pastor, mm -hmm. um, and as you say, step out in faith, which yep. is a very bold 
bold thing to do. Now, you're married to Sarah, you've mentioned Sarah, you've got two children, Ella and Caleb. How, yeah. how, how are they taking this? Uh, they're coping remarkably well, because for all of us, it's a time of instability. Um, you know, ultimately, Sarah and I are simply trying to walk a walk of obedience. So if God says to do something and we feel he's saying to do it now, then we do it. Um, and that's what stepping out of the role in Fleet was. It was, uh, we both felt through um, a, a retreat day where we've been praying and fasting that God said individually to us, um, I want you to take a step of faith. I want you to um, hand your notice in. So we kind of thought, well, we don't have anything in place, but okay, God, if this is what you're saying to do, we will do it. Um, and so that kind of put us into this position. And to be honest, uh, I struggled with that uh, as a husband and as a father. I really felt the responsibility of that. Um, but one of the things that I felt God challenged me on was, do I trust him enough um, as God, as a sovereign, almighty God, as a loving faithful Heavenly Father, do I trust him enough that if he says do this, uh, that I can do that and actually know that I have security in doing that because he said it um, and that he's not going to let me fail. He's, you know, he's not going to leave me or forsake me um, or my family. Um, and, and that was a big challenge for me was could I trust God, not just with my life, but with my wife and my family? Um, and you know what? He is proving so faithful. He's proving so good in the process. Um, it's not necessarily the easiest of walks, uh, but I believe it's a time that he's preparing us um, and just getting things ready. Uh, we kind of have a phrase that we say sometimes, which is that we believe that God is working in our waiting. So there's things that uh, there are times when we're not sure what is happening, but then it becomes evident that God has been doing something and has been working something out. Um, and and we take the opportunity to pray with our kids um, to make sure they're involved in this process. Uh, they don't necessarily, they're quite young still, so they don't necessarily speak into the decisions that we take. Um, but we do involve them in praying uh, for the call that we're on, uh, for the people that we've been called to go and reach. Um, and they, in their own way, are kind of uh, involved in that, excited about it. Of course, we have moments where they say, oh, I miss my friends. Um, but we're trusting and believing that God's yeah. going to give them new friends and is with them in the process as much as he's with us. And the place you're going to, um, Western Canada, Vancouver, yep. is not the easiest of places, is it? No, certainly not from a spiritual climate. Lots of people will know it as a beautiful place, a place that they might have been on holiday or that they'll have known people that have been on holiday or seen pictures and it is a really beautiful area um, but spiritually it's a very difficult climate so Christianity is uh, in decline uh, other faiths are on the rise um, lots of people are uh, either disinterested or just disengaged uh, from the church and from the whole idea of um, what they might term an organized religion um, there are people that are pursuing and exploring some kind of spiritual meaning in their life, but they're not doing that by uh, by looking to Christianity. That, that That's just not an option for them. It's like kind of automatically ruled out. So we know it's a difficult place. We've spoken to people that are working there on the ground um, who have said this is not an easy area to go to. 
But again, we're just walking a, a, a walk of obedience. God has actually told us, I want you to go to Vancouver. So we're going to go to Vancouver. Um, so we're just believing that he's got to work for us. Um, I can't remember the reference, but there's a verse in the New Testament that says that God has prepared good works in advance for us to do. Um, and, and we just have to believe that that is what he's doing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be caught out now, aren't I? I'm pretty sure it's in Ephesians. Yeah. Ephesians 2 verse 10. Uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Exactly. So, uh, well, listen, for those of you that are listening here, um, it's a real challenge. It's a challenge to, to me. It'll be a challenge to those of you listening here uh, to hear what Nick has just described. Uh, and I think you've repeated, I want to be obedient. I want mm. to be obedient. I want to be obedient. And in order to be obedient, you've got to hear God's voice. Right. And, um, and, and as we know, the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please yep. God. Yep. I think I may have said that before on a podcast. And so, so it is an adventure. Mm. And um, clearly God has called you to that place, which is not easy because he wants what you have got to offer to reach out to those people yep. over there. Now... Um, You've mentioned a number of Bible verses. I know, I know that um, the Word of God is important to you. Yeah. Um, now you know the, you know something of the work of, of precept, don't yep. you? Um, how did you come across precept and, and, and the whole method of this way of study? How how has that helped you? Does it help you? Um, what's your view of that? Yeah. Well, I, ca- I came across precept through yourselves. Um, so. Um, for those who um, may not be aware, I was the worship pastor at St. Paul's Church in Salisbury, which is uh, where uh, Nigel and Molly uh, worship, um, but also Precept is based here in Salisbury. And um, you actually invited me to lead worship at one of your conferences that you had here. And I think that's probably the first time that I really became aware of what the the method involved. Um, I then got involved in uh, a Saturday morning uh, men's inductive study group, which was great. Um, I find it just an invaluable way of uh, exploring the scriptures and um, there's this phrase, isn't there, discovering the truth for yourself. And, and that's really what the inductive method does is uh, before I can go to commentaries and find out what other people have to say is that I can go to the scripture myself and use the scripture to to understand really what it's saying just by applying some very simple uh, tools and methodologies. And um, to be honest, when I was um, part of our call uh, was that I did an inductive study on Luke 5, um, simply because I was sat on a train, felt that I needed to look at the Bible, so I got my Bible out, um, felt that I should do Luke 5, so I turned to Luke 5, and then I just used the tools that I know. I didn't have any... uh, preset materials with me, but just by using the tools that I knew, I could sit there and just really explore the text for myself. Um, and it's something that I've tried to encourage other people to to use. Uh, it's something that I use in, in my preparation when I'm preparing to speak. So whenever I'm looking at a passage that I'm due to speak on, I'll be applying those inductive um, methods um, to, to really see what the text has to say. Mm. So, so I find it invaluable. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, 
It's interesting you mentioned Luke 5 there. It's, it's, uh, Luke 5 is, is one of the passages that we will sometimes use to introduce people to this hmm. method of study. I don't know whether you did the whole chapter or just the first, you know, we just took, I think, the first 10 or 11 verses yeah, of that's that what chapter, I did. Yeah. which is just, um, it's a beautiful um, example of different aspects of Jesus, isn't it? It is. Um, you know, he's on the shore, he sees some boats lying by the shore, hmm. um, you know, he gets into one of the boats, Yep. Ask Simon to put a little way out from yep. the shore because uh, he wants to use the boat to teach from. Clearly, there's a crowd yep. around him and he needs to step away a little bit from the shore. And, uh, you know, one imagines that maybe the onshore wind was taking his voice uh, to the crowd. Yep. And, and then there comes a point, doesn't there, when Jesus turns to uh, Simon and says, right, I want you to put out into the deep water. Right. <laughs> and let your nets down for a catch. And he yeah. says, well, hang on a minute. We've been fishing all night and we haven't caught anything. I mean, you know, and you sort of sense in his voice, well, we're the fishermen here. We know what's going on. Yeah. You're just a preacher. You know, what are you? And then he says, but at your word, yeah, at your word, because you have said it. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's beautiful because you're being obedient to what Christ is asking you to do but at your word because you've said it and of course yeah. you know you have in your mind's eye there they're in the boat Simon's obviously in the boat with Jesus and he's been hearing him teaching and clearly yeah. he's been teaching with authority and he said right actually it's worth giving this a go yeah. if you tell me I'm going to go yeah. and he goes out into the deep water and there's more fish that he catches than you can shake a right. stick at uh, and so much so that he has to call another boat across yeah. doesn't he and ask for help yeah and, and, uh, and really, it's that verse that I think the NIV translation, which I was using on the train um, when I was studying it, says, but because you say so, I will. And that's almost become like this little catchphrase in my mind that does uh, some um, surmise what it means to walk in obedience. Is It might not look like it makes any sense. I, I might not have this figured out. I might not understand it. Um, but because you say so, I will do this. Okay. And, and that's really what summarises um, our walk that we're on at the moment. Yeah. Um, Amazing. And of course, it reminds us of, of um, Abraham as well when he was called. Yeah. You know, he set out, it says, not knowing where he was going. But God had said go. Yeah. And so he, he said go. And, you know, there may be people listening, um, maybe listening to this thinking, oh, my goodness me, that is... That is really challenging. And I would just exhort you who are listening, if God is speaking to you to do something um, to you very personally and you just know that he's speaking to you, um, uh, it, it may not be as grand as giving up your job and emigrating to a different country, but if he's prompting you to do something, it may be setting out to set up a new work or a new ministry, or then be obedient, be obedient. Um, you, you know, none of us want to look back on our lives and think, ah, I missed it. Yeah. I wasn't obedient. Um, you know, so Nick, uh, you're, you're a living example of that. Now, um, you're a gifted teacher and preacher. Um, and uh, do you enjoy that? I do. <laughs> Why I do love, you enjoy it? Well, I love the Word of God. And if, if there's anything I can do to help other people understand the Word of God and what it's saying and how it applies to our lives... Um, because it is a living and active word, right? So um, 
if there's a way that I can help people understand how it is living and how it is active and what it means for them, then I just love those opportunities. Mm. Yeah, and you've already mentioned how you, 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 you use some of the skills to, to prepare for that. And uh, yeah, so if you, uh, and another thing, you know, when you do get to Vancouver, you need to put your sermons online so people can listen to them. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure they will be. All right, now, uh, do you have a favorite Bible book? Yeah, so my favourite book... Um, is or character. The, uh, my favourite book is the Book of Acts. Okay. Um, and... Why is that? I, I love it because it speaks of um, the birth of the church um, through a combination of the Word and the Spirit. So there's, there's a great verse which, to me, kind of summarises um, what the Book of Acts is about. But Acts 1, verse 8 is where... Um, Jesus says to the disciples, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that actually gives you the structure of the rest of the book um, in that they receive the Holy Spirit, but the, what the Holy Spirit enables them to do is to declare the wonders of God. So on that day of Pentecost, um, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples who are gathered together and they all start speaking in these other tongues, in these other languages. And then uh, the Jews that have gathered for that festival hear this commotion going on and they ask themselves, how is it that these people, these Galileans, um, how is it that they're now speaking in our tongues, in our languages, and we hear them declaring the wonders of God? Um, and really it is this equipping um, through the Holy Spirit to go and tell people about God. Um, Peter then stands up and says, well, let me explain it to you. They're not drunk as you suppose. And then he gives this amazing sermon and, you know, 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. And that's what we pray for you in Canada. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And, and then as, as the book of Acts unfolds, you just see the church being born and coming alive and it gives us an understanding um, of, of what the church can look like when it is fully alive, where believers are devoted to one another, um, where people are literally sold out um, for Jesus to, to, uh, to enable other people to, to know um, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And then in the middle you get this guy, Saul, who suddenly... Um, uh, is, is just mentioned as this guy that's sitting on the sidelines or standing on the sidelines um, with coats being thrown at his feet as people are going to stone Stephen. Um, but then, of course, Saul has this incredible encounter uh, with Jesus on the Damascus Road, and his life is completely transformed. So you get this guy who is uh, actively seeking to go against the followers of Christ, who then, his life is just turned around. And I think there's this beautiful picture in that, that nobody is too far from God. Um, so you can be the, the most vociferous person against Christianity. Absolutely. As he was. I mean, he persecuted the church. He, right. he would vote for people to be killed, you know. Um, yeah. So you can be that person. You can be that person. And, and, and God still be... wants to reach you. He still wants to turn your life around. He still wants to heal you and forgive you of all of that past and, and set this new life of purpose before you. 
which is, of course, what then happens. So Saul becomes Paul, who then becomes this incredible church planter. But what we see is that um, a persecution breaks out on that day when Stephen is stoned. And whilst that looks like it might be defeat for the church, actually there's God's purpose in that, because what was promised, what was promised was that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, which is what they'd been up until that point. But then it said, and in Judea and Samaria. Well, where did the disciples all scatter to on that day of persecution? They scattered into Judea and Samaria, taking the gospel out. And, and so the church is born in that wider area. And then later you get this uh, occasion where Paul is trying to get it, I think it says that they travel to Troas and Paul's trying to get into different areas. And there's this fascinating thing where it says the Holy Spirit stops Paul from preaching the word of God, which is just kind of hard to get your head around. Like, why would you uh, give this guy this incredible anointing, but then stop him from using it? Mm -hmm. But the reason is because God's plans are not necessarily the same as our plans. Um, we know his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But what it means is that when Paul has a dream of a guy or a vision of a man in Macedonia who says, come here, we need your help, that that is the entry point for the gospel to leave the area that it's been operating in up until that point, And the gospel then enters Europe. And what's fascinating to me is, you know, we wouldn't necessarily have the gospel had Paul not been obedient to what the Holy Spirit was saying to him to stop and then to what the Holy Spirit said through that vision for him to enter Macedonia. Um, so I just love the way in which the story of the church unfolds. Um, it's always through the proclamation of the word of God and through the kingdom of God, um, but with the spirit of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in his people. Um, that really enables the church to be born to come alive. And that verse was Acts 16, uh, verses 6 and mm. 7. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden right. by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And then right. they went on to Troas, which, as you say, opened the door to them to go to uh, Europe, which is, which is amazing. Do you have a favourite Bible verse? Yeah, my favourite Bible verse is actually Ephesians 3, um, 20 and 21, if I'm allowed to actually yeah, have two verses together. Um, Read them out. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I just love that sense that actually whatever we think, whatever the limit of our thinking, of our requests, whatever we ask, uh, whatever the limit of our imagination, um, God is able to do immeasurably more. And, and that just completely blows my mind. I don't really understand that because, you know, he's always saying, whatever you can think, I can do immeasurably more than that which is just absolutely incredible. But the thing that fascinates me is it's not just, I can do this as God, but it's according to his power that is at work within us, which means that he wants us to be involved in his mission. He wants us to be involved in what he's doing here on earth. Um, and, and when we say yes to that, he can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So I don't know what God wants to do in me, through me, uh, for the rest of my life. But I know from his word 
that he can do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine if I allow his power to be at work within me. Um, and so that's really why I just seek to live this life where I'm just trying to be obedient, trying to be open, trying to go, if you say it, God, I'm going to say yes. Um, because I want to see what he can do and I want to be involved in his mission. I can't think of anything that's more exciting. <laughs> oh, amen. Oh, amen, I say to that. So, Nick, um, thank you so much for coming uh, in to talk to us today. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I have a sense that there'll be quite a lot of people who'll be challenged by what you have said and the journey that God has you on. And uh, if that's you that's listening, then um, maybe you just want to uh, put your, cast your burdens upon him and uh, seek his face and be obedient to his spirit and um, yeah, see where that would lead. And, and um, I would love to uh, have you back on the program in, in months to come. And we'll probably have to do it by Skype or some other way of recording mm. it. And for you to say, well, this is what God has done. You know, we're in Canada yeah. and these are the stories. And, and I think that would be a blessing. To oh, I'd love people. to do that. So, Thank you so much. Um, we will continue to pray for you. Uh, I know there's a financial provision um, that we are praying for God to provide um, for you to go. And um, we look forward to all that God's going to do through you. So thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks very much, Nigel. You've been listening to the Bible and Me podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave a rating or review. If you want to find out more about Precept Ministries UK, visit www.precept.org.uk. Thank you.